Let's pray. Father, make us receptive now to what we need to hear from you and draw us into whatever business we need to do with you or with others. Lord, we pray that you would bless us, teach us and guide us in this way now as we consider the scriptures. In Jesus' name. Amen. This is a sermon about fire. About fire from heaven. A sermon about fire from heaven mercifully restrained. Fire features in both our Old Testament and New Testament readings from 2 Kings 6 and Luke 9. Elisha's servant has a vision where he sees the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all round Elisha. And the fire gives these chariots away as the armies of heaven, the hosts of God. In Luke 9, Jesus' disciples, James and John, are outraged that Jesus is being turned away from a Samaritan village. And they ask, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? And the fire here is divine power of judgment and destruction. As well as fire, there is restraint in both of these passages. Uh, 2 Kings 6 and Luke 9. The chariots of fire surrounding Elisha do not charge the hostile forces of Aram coming to get Elisha. And when Elisha leads those hostile forces into the heart of Samaria and the king of Israel asks, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? The answer is no. Also in Luke 9, when James and John offer to call down fire on the inhospitable village of the Samaritans, Jesus rebukes them. No. The divine fire is there, unseen but at the ready, and yet neither Elisha nor Jesus calls upon it. Today is our last week in Two Kings, our last episode with Elisha, the season finale, if you like, and it's a kind of cracking story, I think. Um, I hope you agree. It's the story of overcoming evil by the gracious power of God. And so, two parts to the sermon. Firstly, Elisha overcomes evil by the gracious power of God. And secondly, Jesus overcomes evil by the gracious power of God. Let's firstly look at Elisha. Elisha overcomes evil by the gracious power of God. There is, in 2 Kings uh, 6, where we are, war. And it's a nasty business. Verse 8 says the king of Aram was at war with Israel and it seems like the Aramean king was manoeuvring to intercept or ambush the king of Israel. And so after conferring with his officers, the king of Aram says, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. And the man of God, that is Elisha the prophet, sent word to the king of Israel, beware, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place, indicated by the man of God, time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. And so Elisha's prophetic gift is keeping the king of Israel safe to the great consternation of the king of Aram. And when the king of Aram, you know, starts to berate his officers and say, what's going on here? Who's the mole? He discovers that Elisha is the one who is 
feeding this intelligence to the king of Israel. So he decides to neutralise Elisha. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so that I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he's in Dothan. And he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. And we see this next part of the story through Elisha's servant, who is invited to see things for a moment as Elisha sees them. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Unperturbed, Elisha says, do not be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around. And you think, whoopee, this is going to be great. Like, can you imagine these horses and chariots of fire streaking out of the hills and just running straight over the top of the Arameans? This is where we're going to see those Aramean bad guys cut to ribbons. They're going to be scorched, overset. They're going to be incinerated. Look out. Well, no fireworks ensue. The heavenly hosts, they do nothing. They are there, but they don't act and they aren't mentioned again. They are there, overwhelmingly powerful, but they, the enemies, the Arameans, they're not going to be dealt with by fire and destruction. Elisha has something else in mind. As the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. Now, it doesn't seem like this blindness is the loss of all vision, as if they're groping around, unable to see anything. It's more like confusion, suggestibility. You know, you've seen Star Wars. These aren't the droids you're looking for. It's a bit like that. A lack of perception of certain things. Reminds me of a story I read in the book God Smuggler. Classic. Anyone read this book, God Smuggler, about Brother Andrew? A couple of hands up. Some more there, yep, great. Well, in case you don't know, Brother Andrew was a Dutch missionary who uh, made trips into behind the Iron Curtain and he was going into communist Yugoslavia in 1957 with a suitcase full of tracts and Bibles in his old BMW, uh, his old VW. This is all contraband and completely illegal. He can't take it into this country. But as he approaches the border and the checkpoints, he prays the smuggler's prayer. What's the smuggler's prayer, you ask? Here it is. Lord... In my luggage, I have scripture that I want to take to your children across this border. When you were on earth, you made blind eyes see. Now, I pray, make seeing eyes blind. Do not let the guards see those things you do not want them to see. Having prayed this prayer, he approaches the checkpoint. The guards ask, do you have anything to declare? He answers, well, I have my money and a wristwatch and camera. The other guard, he writes, was looking inside the VW. He asked me to take out a suitcase. I knew that there were tracts scattered through my clothing. Of course, sir, I said. I pulled the front seat forward, dragged the suitcase out, placed it on the ground and opened the lid. 
God lifted the shirts that lay on top. Beneath them, now in plain sight, was a pile of tracts in two different Yugoslavian languages, Croatian and Slovene. How was God going to handle this situation? Seems dry for this time of year, I said to the other guard, and without looking at the fellow who was inspecting the suitcase, I fell into a conversation about the weather. I told him about my own homeland, how it was always wet on the polders. Finally, when I could stand the suspense no longer, I looked behind me. The first guard wasn't even glancing at the suitcase, he was listening to our conversation. When I turned around, he caught himself and looked up. Well then, do you have anything else to declare? Only small things, I said. The tracts were small, after all. We won't bother with them, said the guard. He nodded to me that I could close the suitcase and with a little salute he handed me back my passport. And on he went. It's not that these guards couldn't see, but that they didn't see. God made seeing eyes blind. And so in a perhaps similar fashion, Elisha leads these Arameans who don't quite know what's going on, but they are all unsuspecting, and he leads them right to the Israelite capital, Samaria, where he kind of rips off the blindfold. Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were inside Samaria, staring, no doubt, at the spears of the crack bodyguard of the king of Israel. Will we now have the satisfaction then, you ask, of seeing these Arameans cut down, run through, done in? The king of Israel is certainly keen. Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, Elisha Elisha answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? They are to be spared, as princes should be. Well, so then what? You know, imprison them. Use them as hostages. Get a bit of leverage over those Arameans and have some bargaining chips on the table. Well, not that either. Elisha gives his instructions. Set food and water before them so they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. This is handsomely done. So he prepared a great feast for them and after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. And this mercy, this reprieve, this generosity, it brings peace. Bands from Aram, we read, stopped raiding Israel's territory. Why was this? Was it because, well, Elisha has proved his mastery. Like, he's all over the Arameans. He knows what they're going to do and when they're going to do it. And even when they turn up, he's able to dominate them without drawing a sword. Is that why they say, what's the point? We'll never win. Or has Elisha won their gratitude? By treating them not as enemies, as prisoners, but rather as guests. Maybe they think, how can we go back and raid this fellow's land when we've been so handsomely dealt with? Elisha's power here seems just boundless. He hears all the king of Aram's plans. He sees all the hosts of heaven. He captures all the Arameans without a fight. He restrains the king of Israel's violence. He overcomes evil and wins peace with grace and mercy. Elisha is all this because he is the man of God. With the Spirit of God resting on him, his prayer turned to God's ear, his heart tuned to God's will, his mouth full of God's words. He is invincible 
Jesus overcomes evil by the gracious power of God. And Jesus can be as invincible as Elisha. A furious crowd in Nazareth took him, we read in Luke 4, to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Jesus can be invincible, unstoppable, powerful, indomitable. But by Luke 9, Jesus has begun talking about being delivered into the hands of men. And the first verse of our Gospel reading tells of the beginning of Jesus' last journey to Jerusalem, a journey which culminated in rejection and crucifixion, a defeat if there ever was one, so it would seem. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Samaria, the old capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, was by Jesus' time the home of the Samaritans who were no friends of the Jews and thus no friends of Jesus and his companions, Jews heading for Jerusalem. James and John are angry. They want to call down God's fiery judgment on these Samaritans, as we've heard. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. No fire, no judgment, no blindness, no bending the Samaritans to his will. Jesus is going to accept being rejected. He's going to walk the road of vulnerability and suffering. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Elisha's grace and mercy was shown in putting on a feed for his enemies, you know, and then setting them free. Jesus' grace for his enemies was shown in a more costly and terrible manner. Romans 5, 6, Paul writes, You see, just at the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. In Romans 5, 8, a couple of verses later, he says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Colossians 1.20, he made peace through his blood shed on the cross. I said this was a sermon about fire from heaven, mercifully restrained. And let me say again, there is divine fire. A power that God can mobilise against his enemies. A power that Elisha's servant caught a glimpse of. Horses and chariots of fire. A power that the Arameans could by no means Withstand, and nor could any of us. Here's Psalm 50, verse 3. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him, and all around him a tempest rages. Or Hebrews 12, 29. God is a consuming fire. 
And yet, over and over, the Bible tells the story of God's not unleashing his chariots of fire upon his enemies, upon the enemies of his people, but rather opening their eyes so they might see his grace and mercy. The Arameans, having their eyes opened, saw that they were indeed in the power of Elisha. They were subject to his judgment. They were at his mercy. This was perhaps an unpleasant moment for them, especially if they were proud warriors. But soon they understood that Elisha was in the business of making peace and not taking vengeance. Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. Well, Jesus is also in the business of making peace. He is the judge and he has the power. At his trial, he said to the Jerusalem authorities who questioned him, from now on, the son of man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. The journey that Jesus is embarking on at the beginning of Luke 9 ends up with him in heaven, given all authority in heaven and earth. Perhaps we don't like the thought of being under God's power, subject to his judgment at his mercy. However, Jesus is not itching to call down fire from heaven, even when we may at first sight refuse him. He came to make peace. Paul again. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. The Arameans were changed by their encounter with Elisha's grace and peace. The bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. It didn't leave them unaffected to be the recipients and subject of this mercy and grace. And so as we reflect on Jesus' mercy and grace to all of us, in dying for us, in preaching peace to us, in restraining the fire that he could have brought, let's ask some questions. Are your eyes open to see God's grace to you? The fire of his judgment is restrained. Paul again, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Have you seen God's grace to you? And secondly, have you made peace with God? Have you been changed? Are you being changed by your encounter with God's grace. Paul again. Now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. The very basic thing we need to do in this time is to seek God's favour and to call on him for his salvation, to be changed by the grace that he offers us. Let's let's pray. Lord God, we recognise that you are the God of power and of justice and that the fire of your judgement is real and yet is restrained. 
And you offer us peace. You offer us peace even through the death of your Son. That you are reconciling the world to yourself in Christ, not counting our sins against us. And so, Lord, we praise you for that. And we pray that you would open our eyes really to know and see your grace to us. In all our shame, in all our imperfection, in all our weakness, in all our guilt, in all our pride, in all that we are, even set against you. You are gracious to us. For now is the time of your favour and now is the day of salvation. So help us, Lord, to make peace with you, to be changed. As the Arameans were changed by their encounter with Elisha, so may we be changed by our encounter with your son Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.